and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Tuesday evening. Joining us from the Barclays Center, where in a few hours he's going to watch the Celtics take on the Brooklyn Nets, is Tim Bontemps. I don't know, McMahon. I feel like Brian is now Too close messing up to the times microphone. of the day. Times Too of close the day. To the microphone. Are, okay, well, yeah. you're you're you could get much closer to the right times of the day since it's the middle of the afternoon where all of us are at the moment. So I mean, it's just four, a, just thir- a thought. It's four thirty Eastern. Is that the evening? No, late afternoon. <laughs> I mean, I I that's what you're going to go after me on, is that? I just Join was amused. Joining us from Dallas, Texas, home of the red-hot Dallas Mavericks, wanted to make sure I zapped one more team, uh, since that's all we do, uh, is Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. Listen, you know I'm feeling good. You know why? Got a shipment today of some oh. free gear. Shout out to Eastern Washington. Hey, 10 and 1. In the big sky, defending champions. Coach sent me a card, a nice note, David Riley. Hashtag let it fly. Gonna win the big sky, baby. Long sleeves, too. Woo, I'm feeling good. I believe that's, that's cool. the alma mater of former NBA first round draft pick Rodney Stuckey. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, hey, I hope, been, I hope I got that right. They've been to the tourney the last couple of years. They're heading back this year and uh, they got some good gear. All right. Well, you're, I didn't. I never knew your Eastern Washington fandom, but now I'm very well aware of it. I, I'm easy to uh, get on board. All right, that's true. You are. You are easy. You're cheap and easy. That's the way we like you. Not cheap and easy. Guess what time it is, McMahon? Oh, Ooh, it's one wee. of those special days. We get only a few times a year. It's straw poll day. Ooh, jackass potential. Here we come, baby. I thought you were going to call it the, the BS poll. You're you're always you're in you're involved, McMahon. It's it's always it's always jackass potential. Fine. But it is right. one of three times a year the Bond Temp Straw Poll for That's sure. Right. The BS poll. Here we go. That name that name has really caught on, which I'm uh, semi disappointed about. But that's what a lot of people now call it, and I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. I suppose. All right, Bon Temps. The story came out on Tuesday. Some some of our listeners have seen it. Um, if you want to go down, I don't give all the totals because it gets a little yeah, I don't, monotonous. I don't think we need to necessarily go through all the totals. We could just say Jokic was first, Che Gilles Alexander was second, Giannis Stenikupo was third, Luka Doncic was fourth, Kawhi Leonard, who didn't get any votes last time, was fifth, Jason Tatum was sixth, Jalen Brunson was seventh, and Donovan Mitchell was eighth. I think that's the end of the, the relevant portion of the vote. And tell us the first place vote spread between Shea and uh, Jokic. Nikola Jokic had 69 first nice. place votes. Very nice. Chigos Alexander had 24 of them. Pulling it up quickly right here. Yasta uh, Kupo had two. Mm-hmm. Luka Doncic had three. And then Jalen Brunson and Anthony Edwards each had one farther mm-hmm. down the board. Mm-hmm. All right. And you've done this for six years now, I think. Uh, the um, first one was in 2016 17. How many years that is? It's a lot of years. I don't know. But the Most last people. the last couple of years, what is the history of, of this poll right before the All Star game meant to the uh, what the eventual outcome was? The history of the poll has been that the person in second has won the last two years. So Shea is going to win MVP. That is oh, the, okay. That is oh, the takeaway. We can, just, we can just go home now. We can go home now. It's all done, it's all sorted out. Yeah, so uh, having reviewed the results, I think you know it's not a surprise that Jokic is the favorite, uh, the the leader, not just the favorite, but the leader. Uh, I looked at ESPN bets odds before the poll came out. He was negative two twenty five, so you had to bet two hundred twenty five bucks, get a hundred back. 
he was sort of the heavy favorite. I do. I think those lo- those odds might get a little shorter even uh, or longer. I'm not sure. Further in the negative um, after the poll. But I think the key that you brought up here is that, you know, and Jokic is very deserving, you know, 69% of the uh, voters thought so. Uh, I voted Jokic first. I don't know if you two guys are going to say who you voted first. Um, do you even, you, you vote in this Bontemps, but you never reveal, right? Or you do? Uh, I, I do not vote typically. Oh, excuse me. Huh. So I don't vote uh, in the real thing, but I vote in the BS. That's interesting. Bontemps votes in the real thing, but not in the BS. I, think- I usually end up asking, I usually end up asking a couple extra people just to make sure I have a hundred because sometimes people forget. So if I ended up at like 99, I would vote, but I don't, I ask enough people. All right. Well, who would you vote for unofficially? As of today, I would vote for Jokic. I think, I think he is, he's having another great season, maybe not quite as good as last year, but certainly obviously still a fantastic year. And that being said, I do think, I mean, to me that there were two main takeaways from this. Well, three, one was that obviously Jokic is in position to become the ninth guy to win three MVPs. It's obviously a pretty huge deal. And the only the seventh guy to win three in four years, which obviously you're talking pretty rarefied air. All the guys who did that are inner circle Hall of Fame players. The second was that Jay Gilles Alexander, if he doesn't win, I think is primed to be the guy who steps in and wins it. I do think in general, people sort of get tired of voting for people after they win a couple. We've seen that over the years. I think Giannis has sort of fallen victim to that in recent years to some degree. And I think his candidacy this year is certainly impacted in part by all the drama that has surrounded the Bucks. So despite the fact he's having a fantastic individual yeah, season. And, and let me just say, I, I wish that it wasn't this case because I've been an advocate in the past of you vote on this year. It's the MVP of the 23-24 season. It is not, let's beat somebody up for what happened last year or two years ago. But that's just not reality. Reality is that your body of work beyond this season goes into it. And Giannis was hurt in the playoffs last year, but the Bucs were disappointment and the Bucs have been a disappointment this year, even though he has played very, very well. And, you know, Jason Tatum is outside the top five, even though his team has the best record in the East and has been arguably the most impressive team A to Z from the beginning of the season till now. And he has played very well. He is not even anywhere near contender status. And I think that part of the reason is because of the way he's played at the end of the playoffs last couple of years. I don't think it's fair, but that's, I think that's true. I would say it's just that people don't see him as quite the same level of player as because he hasn't done it at the, at the highest level. I I, I just think it's straight up because he's like not as productive as the other candidates. To me, there are four real Candidates, four legitimate guys who have the chance to win an MVP this year. And that is Jokic, SGA, Giannis, and Luka. The Mavericks are going to need to bump up in the standings to really give Luka a chance. But they're those are the four candidates. And I then- would I would add, I would add that I do think there's a world where if the Clippers win the West, that I think Kawhi has a chance. And I was going to mention I don't Don, think Donovan he would, Mitchell was fifth on my ballot. Those are the two guys who are kind of the dark yeah, horse. But Donovan, but Donovan Mitchell is sort of in the Jason Tatum category where he is I would agree. a great year, That's but another he's, not, he's not seen as an MVP caliber player. Well, I don't know about that. That's not fair. Well, no, but, it, but I'm saying, listen, generally, the MVP of the league, generally, is going to be one of the four or five best players in the league. Donovan Mitchell is a fantastic player. He's not seen okay. as a top five player. That's but he's also, again, he's also a guy that I think two or three times has lost in the playoffs with a higher seat. Okay, obviously, eventually, you know, I don't care if you're around at all, the higher seat you're going to lose. That's, you right. Know. But, you know, his playoff record is 
spotty. He's got some great playoff performances and he's got some some misses. And I think that affects the way people look at him. And you just say he's not regarded as one of the top players. He's averaging 29 points playing point guard. Yeah, but he, he that's, again, I to be clear, he's a top 10 to 15 player in the league. I, I, I'm only pointing out that if you look generally at the track record of this award, it's going to go to somebody who's a lock to be on the first team All NBA ballot and is a top five player. And of course, Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brunson is in the same category. Mm-hmm. He's having an incredible year. The Knicks have had a great year. All those guys are fantastic players who will be on All NBA teams who aren't quite in the same category as Giannis. All right, what were your other pitch. What were your other takeaways? You said you had two or three. I'm the sorry, third, I interrupted. You. No, it's fine. The third one I was going to say was that I, I think it's sort of interesting, or it's a combination of interesting and fascinating that. Despite the fact that the Celtics have been the best team, despite the fact that all his numbers aren't otherworldly, they're really good, Jason Tatum is still not really any sort of threat to win this award. Normally, a player of his stature with a team that's going to win 65 games, even if he isn't quite in the top five, maybe seventh, that's a guy, that's the sort of combination of results where you would see him have a real shot. But to me, Shea is in pole position, and if the Thunder, with a starting lineup of guys 25 and under, and it's Shea at 25 and everybody else well under. If they win the West in the regular season, I think that there's generally going to be a search for somebody besides Jokic to vote for. And it's not because people don't want to vote for Nikola Jokic specifically. It's just that once guys win a couple, we've seen this over and over again, it's very hard to win a third one. Well, so you win two and then it trades to other people. In the years that Jokic has won it, And even last year, he was the clear-cut analytics MVP. Like, if you relied on the dork numbers, he was like, there there was Mm -hmm. just no question. And I checked our, you know, my buddy Andy Bailey's huge nerd index. Uh, SGA actually has the slightest edge over Joker on the HNI. And then it was, I forget if it was Luke or Giannis, whatever order, but there it was, again, it was those four, a little drop-off to Embiid, who's now ineligible for MVP. And then a, a, a pretty significant drop off to the other candidates, which was it was Kawhi and uh, and Donovan Mitchell. But the the point is that SGA has an analytical case right now as as the most valuable player in the league. In addition to the fact that, or related to the fact that he's been such a driving force in the Thunder, making another huge leap and possibly being in position to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. So right. So the thing about it is like if. If Shea, let's say, has a stretch in March where he scores six out of seven games, he scores 40 points, or, you know, he hits three game winners in a six-week stretch, or, mm-hmm. you know, basically it's open there for him to state his case. Winning the West would be another way to do that than the number one seed. Um, the question is, is, you know, I don't know what it would take for Luca. I don't think, you know, right now they're in Seven, they'd, have to, they'd, they'd have to pretty clearly get into the top six. I think if because, they get into the yeah. top six mm-hmm. with his numbers, he would have a chance. But I will just add really quick, just to go back to what you were saying. A lot of people, when they sent me their ballot, said some some variant of it's the top two guys and then a gap. And then for most people, it was Giannis and, Yo- and Luca, And then there was a gap. And that, yeah. I think you saw, that, you saw that in the voting. And I think that's really what we're talking about. Maybe Giannis makes a huge push. If the Bucs go crazy under Doc, I think that's unlikely given their schedule. But if they win a ton of games, sure. If the Mavs make a push, maybe they can get in there. But I really think this is basically going to be I had I had Kawhi third on my ballot. Hmm. Well, if, look, if they win the West, I think it's open enough where if, with the way Kawhi's playing, if he plays 70-plus games and they win the West, I think he's going to have a case 
he's just got a long way to go. And let's remember, like Embiid last year, Embiid didn't, I think, got a single vote, single fifth place vote maybe in the first poll. And then he was third in the second one. Not second, third, but not in first. And then he won the third one and won the MVP and had sort of a similar come from behind thing. And even though he's not in third, he's in fifth. The Clippers, as we know, have been unbelievable the past couple of months, even though they got trucked pretty good at home by the Timberwolves last night. And if they continue on that path with Kawhi playing so many games, I do think he's going to potentially have a chance to make it. Jackson just asked a question I find depressing, but I think is a fair question, which is that as of now, they could pick up more later. As of now, the Thunder have five national TV games left, whereas Luka has nine, and I'm sure the Nuggets have quite a few. I would like to think that the people who are given MVP votes don't rely on national television to study these players, but unfortunately, yeah, I think we're I think we're pretty far beyond that at this. point. I don't know if we are. I think it's a I think it's a very I think it's a very educated voting base, and I think everybody takes it very seriously at this point. You don't have crazy votes for these things. I think that the showcase games matter to a certain degree, not as much as they used to. Honestly, though, it's interesting that SGA is number two here because of these four guys, he is by far, you know, the, the, I don't want to say smallest name, but he's not nearly considered, you know, the, the level of household name that the other three guys are. And he, you know, obviously Joker's fresh off a championship, but Joker is a highlight machine, even though he didn't ever leave the floor. Right. right. Same with Luca, you know, Giannis is, you know, dunking on people's heads on a nightly basis. And SGA is a spectacular player, but he doesn't have the kind of game that translates into viral clips and those kind of things. So the fact that he is number two tells you that this is a, a, a group of voters that are, is really paying attention and understanding the impact that he's making on a night-to-night basis for a team that has made another massive leap and has a good chance to win the West. What if everything just holds right now? Let, let's just say every, let's just say that every you know that the Nuggets stay in fourth. Jokic puts up these numbers. Shea is great, but they don't win the West. Does Jokic sort of just because of yes, the way he's? I think Jokic just, wins. I think Jokic wins by default because usually like now. I was staying away from the word default, so I'm glad you used it. But like usually, it's hard to win your third MVP by default. Usually, you got to do something special. But the way this is setting up, he might basically be able to just set the pace. Well, it's also hard to deny. It's hard to deny that he's the best player in the league when he won right. two MVPs. And then won a finals MVP with one of the most dominant playoff runs that we've seen in recent memory. And by the way, I mean, you made a, I know you were just making a passing statement, Bon Temps, about inner circle, you know, and, and Hall of Famers, basically the uber elite. Jokic is a, Jokic is a Hall of Famer now. Let's, let's just say it. Oh, yeah. Jokic is, Jokic yeah. is already approaching inner circle Hall of Fame stats. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if and he so wins, like, if he wins this MVP, He's already probably one of the 15 best players of all time. And that's yeah. with a lot of career to go. Yeah, you go look at that. I don't have the list in front of me. But you I have look at the, the list. list. The, list guy, is, the list is a list. It's Bill Russell. No, it's hold Will on. Chamberlain. No, no, stop. The guys with three MVPs and a finals MVP. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, just the list. You could just go with the list of three MVPs. Well, I know, it's, but I'm yeah, right. Because the, I mean, finals MVP came along as a award a little bit later. It's Wilt, it's Russell, it's Jordan, it's LeBron, it's Magic, it's Larry Bird. It's Kareem. It's Moses Malone. That's the list. Like that's that is the 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 list list of most of the greatest players of all time. And Nikola Jokic has got a real chance to be on it. And like to be again, like I'm not saying 
default is not a word that like dismisses his candidacy. It's not that he he's like, well, I guess I'll have to vote for him. I would vote for him now. I think he's having a great season. I just do think if you look at the history of this war award, it is a narrative award. And the Thunder, if they win the West with this super young team, there's going to be a lot of narrative push behind that award, mm-hmm. just like there's going to be for Chad Holmgren in the rookie of the year race, which oh, we'll get I don't to know that. We'll talk about it later or not. But like it's that's going to be a real factor in that candidacy. That's why, to your point, if it, it all stays bunched up and it's everybody's within a game at the end of the year and it's basically default, or if Denver wins the West, I, I think Jokic will win going away because coming off of last year's playoffs, the way he's played this year, I mean, uh, you know, we've talked about this on the pod in the past. I, I think he's the best player in the league until somebody knocks him off of that perch. And, and I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. And, and for Giannis, you know, part of his case uh, when he won it was always that, hey, this is one of the most dominant defensive players in the NBA. Well, it's hard to make that case when the Bucks, although they've moved up recently, they're, they're ranked 17th in defense as we speak. And Luca is having the best defensive season of his career by far. And you know, there's a bunch of numbers out there right now that tell you, oh, he's, you know, isolation, post-up. Like he's he's actually statistically been one of the best ISO and post-up defenders in the NBA. So you can't – it's to the point where you, you you can't say, hey, Luca's really not an MVP because he's terrible defensively. That's not true this year. But when you're playing for a team that's ranked 21st in defense, it's hard to make defense a, a, a part – of your case. Now, if the Mavericks move up defensively, then they'll probably move up in the standings. And then we'll be talking about a guy who's the league's uh, scoring leader, who's going to be sniffing around 35 point triple double territory uh, efficiently. But again, they've got to move up in the standings. You cannot be in the play in and be the MVP. You can be on the ballot, but you can't be the MVP in a play in. And I think it's going to be hard to to for even if he gets to fifth or sixth for as incredible as his numbers are, these guys' numbers are all off the charts, mm-hmm. right? So like if you've got the Thunder and Nuggets fighting for first in the West, even if he gets to fifth, which is probably the highest Denver can realistically get, you're still talking about first or second in the West versus fifth. I think that's hard for Luca to overcome, almost no matter what he does. And like you said, the the case again for him from a statistical standpoint is. A pretty incredible one. You look across the board at what he's doing this year. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right. Much more MVP talk in the coming weeks, I am sure. Okay. There was a very interesting post-trade deadline story that came out on Tuesday. We often will, in our world, have all these post-mortems. Uh, after the deadline happens for two or three days where everybody kind of reassesses and tells stories and licks their wounds. And, um, you know, uh, they're important conversations because sometimes this stuff reconstitutes in in July or June. This one was very interesting. Uh, It's from Josh Robbins of The Athletic. He's the beat writer um, for the Washington Wizards. And it was about Kyle Kuzma. And before I say this, I want to be clear that Kyle Kuzma is on the record in this story. This is not sources said. This is what Kyle Kuzma said. And so is team president Michael Winger. They are very clearly saying what happened. And what they're saying is that Dallas, the Mavericks, before they did the two deals for Daniel Gafford Mm -hmm. and P.J. Washington, and obviously the Wizards and the Mavericks were talking for some period of time because they later did this deal for Gafford. But before those deals happened, 
they had the framework of a trade in place that would have sent Kyle Kuzma to the Mavericks. It was not agreed to, but it got to the point where it was it was on the verge of happening. It isn't in the story about what the offer was, but my understanding is that it was going to be the two first round picks. One they ended up sending one pick to Charlotte for PJ Washington mm-hmm. and one pick to Washington. They had to acquire a pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder to do that. And it's my understanding that the Mavericks had acquired the second pick with the intention to trade for Kuzma. Now, I'm not saying they got that pick from Oklahoma City, but it's my understanding that they went with two first-round picks to Washington. So Washington, who ends up... I can tell you that deal with Oklahoma City, it wasn't reported until just before the deadline. That was very quietly agreed to days in advance of okay. the deadline. All right. So Dallas goes and gets themselves quietly another second round, another first round pick, a second first round pick, goes shopping with those two first round picks. One of theirs, one that they got via the Thunder, and they offer the two of them for Kyle Kuzma. I would assume that Grant Williams was in that deal based on everything. Yeah, think. Grant well, they Williams. I think it's a safe assumption. Yeah, I don't know for 100% certain. So just to be clear. So anyway, Michael Winger comes to Kyle Kuzma and says, I got a deal for you to send you to Dallas. And apparently, according to Josh Roberts, and when Kuzma signed his four-year $90 million contract with the Wizards last summer, there was an understanding. And this happens from time to time. This is not rare, or it's not unique, I should say. It is a little bit rare. It's certainly unusual for a player like Kyle Kuzma. No offense to Kyle Kuzma. He is not an all-star player. And the, the understanding was that unless it was like a can't-miss offer, unless it was like Rudy Gobert style, they he would give Kuzma a heads up and an option on where he might be traded. A lot of teams say that. Right. Actually doing it's another thing. And by the way, some people would argue, and it depends on you know what protections were on the picks and all that stuff, but some people would argue two first-round picks for Kyle Kuzma is a type of offer that you shouldn't say no to. That depends on your perspective and a lot of factors, some of which we don't know. I the would point be one is, of those people, for the record. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, one of those picks is going to be in the late 20s this year. The other is going to be, you know, let, let's just say it would have been the same, you know, top two protected, the same protection sure. that Charlotte for 2027 it, it, for the Mavericks. Yeah, it was Dallas lightly protected 2027 pick. Mm. Okay. Now, I will just make a side point here that Washington just got out of a no trade clause situation. All right. Bradley Beal had an actual contractual no trade clause that was. Michael Winger's first order of business to deal with when he got there was to get out from underneath that deal. And that no trade clause was so problematic, they didn't even get a first round pick for Bradley Beal. They got a bunch of second round picks and eventually Jordan Poole. They got Chris Paul that they flopped for Jordan Poole mm-hmm. and Landry Shamit. And there may have been another player in there. I can't remember. But, and the reason they got that is because no trade clause is no good. So, it's hard enough when you have a real no trade clause. This de facto, this, uh, you know, honorarium, this uh, courtesy no trade clause is a heck of a, position to have it in. But Kuzma, okay, that's one storyline. Second storyline, Kuzma says no. Right. I and don't want to read, go to Dallas. I'll just read what Kuzma said. Yes, please do. There was a point in time, Dallas, they definitely did want me. Winger presented me with what the trade was and obviously didn't want to trade me and kind of left the decision up to me a time little bit. Time out. I, come on. He negotiated a, a trade. I mean, he okay. can say he didn't want to trade him, but go I'm ahead. Just, I'm just reading what Kuzma said. Obviously didn't want to trade me and kind of left the decision up to me a little bit and asked me what I wanted to do. I told him I wanted to stay and continue to build something. And that was kind of the end of it. And then, you know, he's asked essentially why. He says, in my career, I won a championship. 
So I understand that when we play this game of basketball, it's not about contending for a playoff spot. It's about contending for an NBA championship. There's only like three or four contenders, true contenders. I just felt like our timelines didn't line up, which, okay, basically he's saying the Mavericks aren't a contender and he doesn't think they're going to be a contender. Okay. That, yeah, he's, got a, a, he's got a, he's got a, but he says his timeline. Okay. He's got a four-year contract. These are his words. This is not sources said. These are his words. These are his words. So he says he doesn't think the Mavericks are a contender during that period, which man, you can, you yeah. can make that argument. Sure. Kind of hard to make that argument from the bottom of the Eastern conference standings. As far as timelines lining up, that's what's head scratching. So look, that's his explanation. You know, I will say this. Had he have come to Dallas, he very, very clearly would have been the distant third option offensively, as opposed to Washington, where he's the guy. I can't say that influenced his decision, but I'm just pointing out facts. And as great of a player as Luka is, and we just talked about him being one of four legit MVP candidates this year. He is as ball dominant as any player in the league. And there are guys around the league. I'm sure you guys have both talked to players who don't necessarily want to play with Luca because of that. Now, I think you can make a very strong argument that Kuzma would benefit massively from playing with Luca, who is blitzed and doubled more than any player in the league. And Kuzma would be in a situation where he's getting open threes or he's attacking closeouts or scrambling defenses. But apparently, that's not the way that Kuzma saw the situation. Well, I got a hot take on this one, which is that I think this trade not happening was a win for Washington and a win for Dallas. Because I think if Dallas had traded these two first-round picks and Grant Williams for Kyle Kuzma, A, I'm not sure they would have got better because Kuzma's not a great defensive player. He's mm. fine. And I, I'm not sure he's really all that much better than Grant Williams, just like I didn't think he was all that much better than P.J. Washington. However... By getting Rashad Holmes and P.J. Washington, you're at least getting two guys with those picks. And then Daniel Gafford, mean, or not yeah. Rashad Holmes, not Rashad Holmes, yeah. sorry. Getting, getting Daniel Gafford, Holmes. yes. Getting Daniel Gafford, getting P.J. Washington. You're getting two players with those picks instead of one. And at least as we have seen immediately with Daniel Gafford on the team, do I think paying a first-round pick for a guy who is either a co-starter or backup center is a good value for a, a value uh, asset strap Mavs team? No, I do not. But – Daniel Gafford is a good player, and the combination of those guys to me is quite clearly an upgrade for Dallas, whereas them getting Kuzma for Pete, or for Grant Williams, I don't think would have been. And for Washington, they get a first-round pick for Daniel Gafford, a guy I was not sure they were going to get a first-round pick for, and now they still have Kuzma to move later in a deal where this summer we're going to see a lot of teams have more picks available to be traded. Maybe he can get, maybe Michael Winger and Will Dawkins can get two first-round picks for him this summer in a deal. Maybe they end up up a first yeah. in the end. Now, what we don't know is whether the deal could have been built out to still include Gafford. I would say we we can have reasonable doubt because they gave up a first-round pick just for Gafford. And you can say for Gafford and to get off of Holmes' contract. But, you know, throwing in some seconds, I, I it's hard to, to see the Wizards seeing that as value. And look, it's not like the Mavericks, you know, had to start from scratch when, when Kuzma – uh, put the kibosh to this thing. They're, they had obviously been talking to teams. I mean, they were dangling Grant Williams all over the league. They had, they'd had they been having talks with the Horns about P.J. Washington. You know, they, they'd uh, you know been having talks with the Wizards, obviously, about Kuzma. But all, it's not like this is the first time, oh, well, hey, what do you think about Gafford? So they weren't 
they weren't left starting from scratch. And and I there are some people I've talked to in Dallas that before the trade deadline had questions about Kuzma specifically because kind of the feeling was we've got to get better defensively and not sure he does that. Now, Grant Williams came in with a very good defensive reputation and didn't play good defense in Dallas. And I got, I, you know, there's people mad at me because I, I said Grant Williams rubbed people in Dallas the wrong way. I was told that's not why we traded him. We traded him because we wanted to upgrade. We weren't desperate. I mean, to Grant dump. Williams is rubbing people in Dallas the wrong way from Charlotte. He's well, throwing all kinds of shade. It's almost Charlotte. like I might have known what I was talking about. I would say one of the one of the ways that Grant Williams rubbed people the wrong way without uh, even you know the yap yap yap, and obviously that that's kind of part of it with him, which it's charmingly obnoxious if he's productive and it's grating when he's not. But he didn't he didn't report in good shape, and Grant Williams not in good shape is not a good defender. Grant Williams has proven throughout the course of his career when he gets in shape, he can be an impactful defender, but that's not the guy that the Mavericks got. Well, I will tell you that I have known Michael Winger for 19 years. I have known him working for four different organizations. And I will tell you that he may not bat a thousand on any on any situation, but he's not going to get out thought. He will have considered every angle for a very long time. So, there's a reason he went to Kuzma. There's a reason he promised it to him. There's a reason he didn't do this deal. And there's a reason why he's going on the record telling the athletic that he wanted to keep Kyle and because he thought it would be good for the team's culture. He also did not trade Tyus Jones, which I'm sure he had many yeah. different options to trade Tyus Jones. Um, so what I would say is, this is what I often say, Bontemps knows, we'll see. We'll see what happens where, where Kyle Kuzma is in a year. See if he's still a wizard or if he was traded and if he gets traded for what maybe is better than this. Mm-hmm. We'll see if Kuzma ends up in a situation he'd like better. I will say this. When Kyle Kuzma signed the contract that he's on right now last summer, regardless of what... And by the way, Kyle Kuzma has a very seasoned, highly respected agent in Austin Brown. Represents many high-level superstars, way bigger than Kyle Kuzma. <clears throat> Austin Brown certainly knows exactly what's going on, too. When he signed this contract, the contract starts at $25 million, goes to 23 21 and 19 That contract was negotiated, designed, and signed to be traded. The whole point of a descending contract is to make it more attractive, especially, moment- especially, especially in a rising cap environment where there's about to be a new television deal kicking in by right. the time that deal is over. Right. So, you know, it's one of the things when you're a lawyer, which by the way, Michael Winger is, one of the things that you can do is make new law. If you can do something and you can go through a court and the law changes because you found a loophole. In Michael Winger's career, he has gotten the NBA to change rules in the CBA because of loopholes he's found. Another guy I've known for about 20 years, who's now vice president of the Knicks, Brock Aller, has done the same thing. And these guys live for this kind of stuff. So this was an unusual situation. I'm scratching my head a little bit about it, but that doesn't mean I'm hating on it. I just think it's an unusual situation and it's worth talking about. Well, the unusual um, part is that it's all plainly stated on the record and credit to Josh for getting Kuzma and Michael absolutely. Winger to talk about it. Cause that that's the, like you said, there's all sorts of conversations that happen after the deadline about what happened or why it happened or what didn't happen, et cetera. But it's not often you have it that plainly be discussed. So kudos to him on that. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right, so we talked about the MVP Strapple. Victor Wembanyama was named Rookie of the Month in January after mm-hmm. Chet Holmgren in the Western Conference. 
which is kind of where it's at. Chet Holmgren won it in October slash November and December, but then Victor won it in January, and he's playing very, very well. He had a triple-double on Monday night where he had 10 blocks, and he set a whole bunch of different historical marks. The most important ones was the first rookie to have a 10-block triple-double since David Robinson in 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about something you know, that hasn't happened in you know, 34 years. That's <clears throat> significant. Um, he, this year he's had triple doubles with blocks and, and assists, which hadn't been done since Shaq, I believe. So we're talking about a pretty awesome showing. He's averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds, and over three blocks a game. And, and three assists. Than- By the way, the first to go 2010, three and three since Shaq's MVP season, not the first rookie, the first player to average 20 points, 10 rebounds, three assists and three blocks since Shaq's MVP season. I'm also going to point out that over the last 13 games, because, you know, there's a couple of things you can, you could wrap Victor for one of which being his team stinks fair. But rookie of the year is not tied to team success. It's the one award that's basically not. Well, I, I mean, okay, sure. You'll get I there. Think, I, you hope, hope, hope. Let him finish. I'm just, I just laugh. Hold on. Shh, shh, shh. He, he's a little salty that he did, he gave the award to Chet a month ago, McMahon. I know. No, no. Again, I never, I never said that. Okay, I never said fine. that. Bonten, say your piece. Say why you think the rookie. No, of the year go ahead. Him. It's not. Uh, what I, I don't said, like it when ever. people put words in my mouth. So Bontemps, if I did, I apologize, and I will take. I, a step I never, I never. I don't said apologize. That. I will just yeah, say that. The things that people would wrap Chet on early or uh, Victor on early in the season were his team sucks, which is still the case. Two, he absolutely couldn't hit the broadside of a barn on the jumper, specifically yeah. the three point range. And in his first 30 games, I think he shot 29% from three and he was shooting five a game, an absolutely fair assessment. Mm-hmm. Over the last 13 games, he's shooting 39% on threes. 13 games does not make a season, but when you're a rookie and you show improvement, that's what's most important. And he turns the ball over a lot. And that's because he's a little weak with the ball. People take it from him. He makes ill-advised passes. I would argue that he handles the ball too much just in general. And the fact that they don't really have much point guard play on that team. But in this, he all, he sniffed a quadruple double in this game because he had seven turnovers. He's got a usage rate of 32. That is absurd. Like to your point, it, it should be 25. He would be much better off if it was 25. Okay. All right. I'm just saying Victor looks great. Go ahead, Mr. Bontemps. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a ridiculous position to put me in because I Thank agree. You. I, that's He's, what I was looking for. Yes, I know it. I know it was. He is playing better. I would point out that, yes, he was unbelievable in the game against Toronto on Monday, truly, from start to finish. The prior two games, he combined to have five rebounds and nine turnovers, and they got drilled twice, including once by the Nets, who stink. So I'm just saying it's convenient timing stinks. that we're doing this. Yes, I understand that. I'm just saying it's like, yes, he has an incredible game. Now it's like, man, the MVP no. race is where it's at. 2010, every, or, three and three. That's his yes, stats is, for he, almost he is, over 40 games. So. Yes. Here's a, here's a different stat I will give you. And again, it's just. And a, I got some stats a, for you, but go but on. There's, lot, there's lots of stats you could you could cite for this. I find this, this race is going to be very interesting. Maybe there will be a different kind of straw poll later in the year. We'll see. See how it's going. It's, it's been requested by people. We'll see if it happens. This season, just as an example, Victor Wembanyama in win shares in his class. You want to guess where he's at? Top five. Sixth. Okay. Chet has almost four times as many. 
He's got six win shares himself with the Thunder. He's been the key player on a team that is at the literal opposite end of the standings from Victor. And he's also putting up really good stats he across is. the board. So all I have said from the beginning, as Brian, from the beginning of the season, has tried to declare, even when Victor was not playing well at all, that he was going to be destined to run away and win MVP. I just said the race wasn't over. That's all I said. And I yes, will still and say I, that. The race I, isn't over. Yeah, I never said it was over ooh, either. Ooh, 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 jackass. No, no, no one, no one is that. I never said it was over either, but there's just been a rush from the beginning to find reasons to say Victor is going to, is the rookie of the year. When okay. Hold there's on. now, well, no, I'm not saying from everybody, but our co-host has been trying to do that for two months. No, no, no. Because last time, last time we discussed this, which was, I don't know. The last time Victor had a great game. No, no, no. It was probably three weeks ago. We we were in, (laughs) we were, we, we had, we were reached a consensus that Chet was the front runner for the rookie of the year at that point. And a major part of that was because Victor had been so inefficient offensively. Mm -hmm. Fellas, the great pop, who you're not allowed to criticize because he's so awesome, screwed Victor for the first couple months of the season with we his no ar- ridiculous we got no argument on that. Got no and argument so, on that. Since the great genius pop, the all-time wins leader, <laughs> came to this miraculous decision to actually play the one-point guard on the roster in the freaking starting lineup since January 4th when Trey Jones moved in the starting lineup, which was a while after the Sohan point guard experiment ended, by the way. Since then, Victor Wimbanyama, and only 27 minutes per game, is averaging 22.7 points, 9.9 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 3.3 blocks, 1.1 steals. His shooting splits are 50, 36, 85. True shooting percentage is 60.8% in that span, which is actually, during that span, is just a little sliver better than Chet's. And Wimby's true shooting percentage is up to 56.4 for the year, which that's not like awesome, but it's 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 decent. It actually would be the best true shooting percentage by a rookie who averaged 20 points. If we're not counting Zion's 24 games and Bede's 31 games, you want to you want to guess the last rookie to average 20 points with a true shooting percentage better than 56.4 who played a, a probably, full season? Probably like a big man. Yeah, you want to guess? Gonna, I was going to guess Shaq. Just as a, def- a default well, to Tim Duncan, one or the other. Tim Duncan, before that, I'll, and I'll read you all the rookies who have done this over the last four decades. Tim Duncan, Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, David Robinson, Michael Jordan, Akeem Olajuwon. Pretty good list. I mean, you have to go back to, to Carl Anthony Towns to find a rookie of the year who had a better true shooting percentage. He didn't average as many points. Certainly wasn't the defensive force that he was. And look, Chet is a legitimate candidate. I don't think this is decided by any stretch, I, I do feel like Wimby might have taken the lead. And as far as the team success thing goes, look, Chet has been a, a huge part of the Thunder success. He has been exactly what they needed on both ends, space in the floor, uh, rim protection. I, I think it's it's reasonable to say, hey, if they switch teams, the spots in the standings would be pretty much the same. I mean, yes and no. I mean, again, excellent. Case. I think... Yeah, well, sure. Yes, because yeah, because again, you you decided who you were going to vote for in November, and you've been trying to get in, everybody. To in come November, he said Chet was the front runner. He said in December. I, no, I he did, did. I did. I did. I said that I would vote for okay. Chet in December. 
I mean, again, I think what makes I'm this, a reasonable person, sir. What truly makes this an interesting race is what you said before, which is incorrect about the team success part. The reason it's incorrect is because we never see rookies in the position Chad Holmgren is in, where he is the, the second most important player on one of the five best teams in the league. We, we just do not see that happen, right? That's why this race in particular is so fascinating. Because second most important player, but in a perfect situation for him to succeed. I'm not, okay, yes, last year the Thunder were a play-in team that got demolished in the play-in, and this year they might have the best record in the Western Conference, and they changed one player. Like, yes, they're young, they're young players, they got better. The main difference is this guy is playing center and has dramatically changed their team, which oh, we just do which we do not see. And Victor, on the other hand, is something we've never seen before, right? right. Who's doing all this crazy stuff, like, like last night, where I was laughing watching some of these highlights at home. I mean, he's dunking from outside the lane. He's doing all this unbelievable stuff. And in virtually any other season, he would have 100 votes, and mm. it would be over. It would have been over in December, even with him playing up and down with his efficiency and everything else, right? So I, that, that I think is what is, makes it such an interesting thing because, yes, if you want to just look at the raw stats on it, like Victor's got better stats, but the stats are close. They're not dramatically different. And Chet is driving winning in a way we've, I, I think you could argue other than like Tim Duncan, we've basically not seen a rookie do. One thing I forgot to mention about Victor, and this is a pretty remarkable thing considering the Spurs spot in the standings. In that stretch, he's played 19 games since January 4th. He has a positive plus minus in that stretch, which again, well, considering yeah. that roster is pretty remarkable. Well, and it, the best point in his favor is that part of it is the, is the Spurs not having him play center early in the year. And the other part of it is, like you said, it was insane. We talked about it a lot. That every time you looked at the, the splits with him and Trey Jones, they were really good. And they just refused to play him with a point guard for – the first, what, two and a half months? And shockingly, once he started playing center with a point guard and the floor was better spaced and they had somebody to operate their offense, he looked better. It's like, this is not not rocket science, guys. It's not rocket science. It's here. not rocket science. It was spur science. We're not smart <laughs> enough to understand it. And you better not ask him about it because Oh, no. Can't question the great pop. Uh, Jackson points out that Chet's usage rate is 10%. 10%, 10 points lower than Victor's. Both of you made very eloquent cases. Thank you for participating in this discussion. Before we go, I do think we should point out that, you know, we've hammered the Bucks quite a bit for their um, ineptitude midway through this season, on, mid, mm -hmm. on the way through the season. I think we talked in the pod last week where I was talking about how within the team there was some, some belief, and whether it was rational or not, we're going to have to see that their processes were getting better, that their practices were getting better, that their, that their strategy was getting better, their film sessions were getting better, that they were seeing improvement, even though it wasn't showing in the stats or on the scoreboard as they lost five of the first six games not coached. Well, they've won the last couple, held the last couple teams under 100, which hadn't happened in forever. And they had a really nice win against the, against the Nuggets on Monday night. Now, they were at home, Jamal Murray, Suffered an injury in that game and left early. So I'm not overreacting. Pope. Right. I am not overreacting to one game in February. That said, but a barren wasteland for defense for the Bucks, and they showed a little something. Have bad to the rescue, baby. 
The Savior has arrived. I can't. Have I mean, no I, fear, Dame. Pat is here to save you. I haven't studied it, but those, that statement is not untrue <laughs> as far as I know. Um, but it was a really good win. I don't know if it was a statement win. You know, the, the, the Nuggets are in fourth place. They're not unbeatable. They'll take some losses. Beating four out of seven is another story. But I do think that there's a belief within the Bucks that they can square this around and get themselves into a position where defensively they give themselves a chance. And there's seedlings, is all I'm going to say. Well, and if, well, Giannis, if Giannis believes, <laughs> I mean, listen, he's still one of the top, we can argue, three, four players in the league last night. One of those, one of those nights for him. 36 points, 18 rebounds, five assists, three steals, two blocks. I mean, does a little bit of everything. Had a similar performance in Dallas. You know, I mean, it, he's a force to be reckoned with, especially when he feels good about uh, who's telling him to sub in and out of the game. Well, listen, the Bucs still have a lot of issues, as we know. However, if you look at the Eastern Conference right now with Joel Embiid, his status being undetermined at the moment, mm -hmm. right? In terms of where he's going to be. The Bucs are not going to be afraid of playing Cleveland in a series. The Bucs are not going to be afraid of playing the Knicks in a series. They maybe should be afraid of playing Indiana in a series based off those regular season games. But, <laughs> but I right? suspect that I suspect that Giannis and Co. will take care of business if they play them. You know, we'll see if they have to play a healthy Miami team, how that will go. We've seen that script before. That would be mm -hmm. interesting. But mm -hmm. you've got and, – and look, if they play Boston, they got the best player, Right. And at the end of the day, like until they get beat in the playoffs, there's a reason why, like at the end of the day in the playoffs, it tends to be who has the best player wins. Well, they have so, the best player and they have the best closer. And yes. they're, they're not the same guy, clearly. Yes. And if you're playing the Celtics, the team that we have seen repeatedly struggle at the quote to close out games and close out series, that could be where Dame makes a difference. Now, you could, again, immediately come back and say the Celtics have probably the two best guys in the league to guard them, which is true. And we'll see how that matchup plays out if it happens. But there's plenty of reasons why, you know, Brian, another phrase you like to use all the, all the time, right, is there's always time. Yes, sir. And there's still a third of the season to go. And there's a lot of time. And as you said, McMahon, if Giannis is invested and in buying into what you're doing, that's good enough to get you pretty far alone before you factor in anything else. As a quick aside, McMahon, my all, there's always time mantra is applying to the Warriors right now. We're not talking about that at the moment, but I just will stick with that as well. Go ahead, McMahon. Hey, that's the one thing from the Sunday pod that held up. <laughs> the Warriors discussion. We were on we, hey, we were on ESPN Tuesday praising the Cavaliers after they just lost the 76ers. They've only lost one game since New Year's Day. The, the 76ers were 12-point underdogs in that game after Tobias Harris was ruled out. Our, our ESPN2 pod. Now, it was up on all every place you get your podcast, but, you know, and on YouTube, but, you know, that thing is it. In the can, record on Sunday afternoon, and the Cavs are as twelve point underdogs are spiking it at home. Sorry, go ahead. I think I think you just summed it up. Oh, all right. Well, uh, Minnesota also got a really good win. Now Minnesota's playing tonight against Portland, so now that I'm saying that, they'll probably lose by thirty. Um, but you know, Minnesota is three and zero this year against the Nuggets and Clippers, and you know they got to play the Nuggets three more times. They got to come back to LA and play the Clippers and La and Lakers again. But they they they. You know, Jackson points out the Bucks are playing Miami tonight. I'm put your money on, on the second on the second on the second out of a back. <laughs> right, back put your too. money on the Heat. That's all I got to say. What, what are they? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but the Wolves have really a lot of really good road wins this year, and 
the Nuggets don't struggle with size, but you have to have size to deal with the Nuggets because they're so big. Mm-hmm. And the Clippers have pretty much been impenetrable for the last two months, but the times where they've stumbled, it sometimes has been related to size. They had issues with the Cavs last week in Cleveland. Cavs have great size. And the they had some issues size. with the Lakers at times this year. Yes. And the, yeah, the Lakers have beaten them. And the obviously the, the Wolves have enormous size and the and Gobert was in his element, just denying the front of that rim. And the Clippers just couldn't get in there. Yeah. And Ty Lue was trying different lineups. Mm-hmm. He was trying different attacks. And it was a night when the Clippers weren't shooting the ball well from the outside. But Gobert was, was like, night, no. It was also a night. Ann Edwards went one of 11 from three-point range. Right. And the Wolves still won comfortably. Yeah. Tell you yeah. what. And we've talked about, hey, the Wolves... They can they, it can get dicey down the stretch of close games. We we've pointed out the flaws and the and kind of the the reasons to maybe have some doubt about them as a as a bona fide contender. Well, let me let me give you something that's reason to believe. They are twenty three and eleven against teams that are five hundred or better. That is the best record in the NBA against those teams. They're twenty three and eleven. Uh, the the Celtics are twenty two and eleven. The only other team, and this this one might surprise you a little bit, or maybe not. The only other team that has at least twenty wins against five hundred better squads are those young scrappy Oklahoma City Thunder's. Yeah, and the Doug Mo standings, which is where you subtract home losses from road wins. The uh, the Timberwolves are plus thirteen, eighteen road wins, five home losses. And so you know you look at the Celtics who have been pretty much impenetrable at home. They're twenty five and three. The Celtics are plus thirteen as well. So that's well, when we talked about the standings earlier relation to MVP and when you've got the Clippers and Nuggets with a bunch of seasoned veteran players who have been deep in the playoffs. And then you've got the Wolves and Thunder, which are young, generally inexperienced teams when it comes to the playoffs. That seeding in particular, I think for those young teams matters a lot. And I think it's going to be a big difference if they're having home court advantage in the second round and beyond if they get there depending on matchups and even, you know, depending on whoever they get and if they're having to go to Denver or one of these other teams, like that could make a real difference down the road. It's going to be interesting to see how that ultimately all shakes out. Yeah. So a very good win for the Wolves. And as they enter a baseball series in uh, Portland before uh, the all-star break. Uh, all right. Thank you, Mr. Bontemps for the straw poll. We always love it. It's always valuable. You can't it. wait for that rookie of the year straw poll. Now, I mean, I wasn't going to bring it up, but now that you have the whole world, Oh, yeah. has heard it, and so now you're under obligation. Sorry. They I'll also wanted uh, they wanted printed in French as well. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Mr. McMahon. Thank you, Jackson, our producer. Thank you, Flissom Hoop Collective. We'll be talking to you later this week. Adios, amigos.